0: Sump City Radio, a Necromunda podcast, is best listened to with headphones for maximum quality and effect. The show may contain profanity and mature content not suitable for Jews under the age of 14. Listener discretion is advised. Citizens of Necromunda, this is a breaking news report from the Broadcast Station Sump City Radio in the under eyes of Ive Primus. This signal is being transmitted at maximum power across all channels. It is my duty as a servant of the Urzean Guild to inform you that earlier today an assassination attempt has been made on our planetary governor, Lord Elmar, leaving him in critical condition. I repeat, ruler of Necromanda, Lord Durontius Elmar, is in critical condition following an assassination. Greetings lords, ladies, scammers and wasters and Necromanda. I am Natomi Skelto, reporting for the Urtzean Guild of Ive Primus via Sump City Radio. This shocking and sad news reaches us today at the worst of times. We have had confirmed reports from all over the Ive and beyond that chaos and anarchy is running rampant. Firstly, an ominous green tear appears in the sky above the waste. Then the thermal vent at the very core of Ive Primus begins calling. Then mass blackouts across the Ive, both in the under Ive and above. Pipeline supplies being cut off. Domes being completely sealed to quell uprisings of scared and frightened citizens. Reports of mutants rising up out of the badlands en masse to overwhelm and destroy isolated settlements. Cannibal corpse cults appearing as if out of nowhere to massacre factory workers leaving them unmanned and unable to meet their required quotas. In a number of instances, these unmanned factoriums have suffered or caused incalculable damage to the surrounding infrastructure. Giant creatures of the sump leaving their lairs and seeking humans to sate their hunger. Reports are coming in of an alarming number of unsanctioned psychers appearing in populated areas with the audacity to fight back against the Enforcers. So we're here in winning driving the Enforcers back. The Enforcers are running scared, abandoning their precincts and retreating further up the Ive to more controlled zones. Perhaps understandably we the people of Necromunda are asking will we survive this? As I speak right now from the Atmospheric Station, I atop the dome over central Sump City. I can see no less than 12 gargantuan creatures currently smashing their way through the arbor docks and into the city itself. The building that was the Sump City radio headquarters is no more having been crushed by some kind of hive beast. Gangs from all known houses fight side by side with the enforcers to attempt to repel everything. But at this point, the battle could swing either way. Most of these people fighting for their lives cling onto an oath that the governor and Necromunda will save them from this utter chaos. I expect most of them are aware that he himself is fighting for his life too, right now. Down here in the filth, we're playing by under rules. Most of you will know what that means. But this signal might reach someone higher up the Spire who has the power to do something anything to sort out this planetary clusterfuck what underive rules means is that when the shit hits the fan it doesn't matter what beef, gripe, blood feud grudge you have with the guy next to you, you all join forces to kick the ever living shite out of the bigger problem and then once that's dealt with you can go back to fighting each other, but all I've heard is that every noble or house that thinks they have half a claim to the Throne of Munda has crawled out the dark corners of the Ive to make a grab for power. There won't be anything worth fecking fighting over if you don't sort this shit out proper quick-like. There's no good news for scavengers today. Everything's gone to hell. Now... We, hopefully, are going to go to a report from Scruffulous Pile.
1: Thank you, Natomi. Stay safe. I stand in the central port of Sector 10, approximately one mile above ground level. All flights, both commercial and private, have been cancelled, stranding hundreds of people and thousands of tons of cargo destined for the eye of Celine and beyond. Additionally, the port has been completely sealed with makeshift barricades as a collective of the unhinged members of House Cawdor have joined extremist brothers of the Redemptionist Faith in an attempt to cleanse the entire hive in blood, bullets and flame. The news of Lord Hillmore's critical near-death state having shaken those of Faith to their very core. Many of the Faith believed that the Planetary Governor was a literal embodiment of the Emperor, or that at least he was imbued with the light and power of the Emperor himself. To hear of his fate has caused an existential crisis of unimaginable proportions amongst those faithful. Some have been left to question their entire lives, and every act they have carried out in his name others are steadfast in their refusal to believe that they could have been wrong and that this is a test from the emperor of mankind himself to prove their worth the sector floor has run red with the blood of innocent bystanders overhead support beams full with the swinging bodies of those whose faith was completely lost and those that believed that their last step from the windows above would be into the arms of the emperor and escape from the devastation and panic that the rest of us are left to deal with. Earlier on, I spoke to a maintenance worker who said that they were only meters away from the assassination attempt on Lord Helmer's life.
2: Oh, uh, yeah, man. It was some crazy-ass shit. Now, this beautiful-looking woman from the spy just... Sailed on past me with no no interaction or, or nothing. She went straight up to the guards and the big fancy pants cop's a moncho room and went all. <laughs> took out guards, and slipped into a room like ain't no thing, And then there's all kinds of commotion, like if you strapped a gun to a sum crock on roller skates and then pushed it inside an enforcer precinct. Not not that I've ever done that or nothing. But then, a few moments later, as I'm completing my 100% fully sanctioned maintenance job some dude comes rushing out of the room screaming and shouting about how lord helmar got knives put in all his organs in alphabetical order this lady was like some kind of super assassin or something i mean who the hell was supposed to know that?
1: at this time no group or individual has claimed responsibility for the attack leaving us to wonder exactly why this has happened and why now was it all part of an existing plan to challenge the regime or was it an impulsive act that has plunged us all into anarchy with no solution in sight this is scrofulous pile for some city radio good luck to us all for the days ahead <laughs>
3: The Emperor wept, I tell you, Chris, I am very glad that we are still in V-Downtown when all of this end of days crap kicked off. I learned a lot recently that orlocks are actually quite good to have about, especially when they're being led by Margot Medina. But those bugs, man. I have burned through practically all of the ammo that they handed out of the wall. Have you got any rounds left? Four, five, I think. Uh, yeah, five. Yeah, I'm, I'm down to two. Uh, what the hell happened? No idea.
4: Locals were saying they've never seen anything like it. I don't think they even realised that there were that many helomites out in the way let alone that they could hurt together like that, or that they could stampede, or that they were so fucking aggressive. Yeah. Never seen anything like that. Uh,
3: I mean, I have. A uh, really old holovid called Starship Troopers. It was like wall to wall bugs. And, and it was that. It was basically 100% that. I don't think I've ever seen it. Well, if you'd like to know more, uh, we can watch it later, but for now... Uh, <laughs> hello, listeners, and welcome to the 20th broadcast from Some City Radio. Uh,
4: and To be fair, you're look you getting this one. While well, we've been killing wall-to-wall bugs for the last few days, Apparently, the SCR HQ in Some City Harbour has been utterly decimated.
3: Uh, yeah, I, I honestly don't know what to say about that. Um, literally everywhere is struggling with one problem or another right now, but uh, nevertheless, we're doing our best to keep going and keep you up. Up to date with all things Necromunda. Uh, speaking of which, ah, ah yes. Uh, so, uh, other than killing giant mutant fleas, uh, what have you been up to since the last broadcast, Chris? <laughs>
4: um, I have been opening, looking at, and filming uh, some short videos for a bunch of Forge World minis that we got sent. Ah, yes. So, um, yeah, uh, we're fortunate enough to get sent. The three Goliath guys, so um, Hammer Hammerfist, Axon Hammer, and the uh, Forge Tyrant.
3: Ah, yes. So I still think that that name was a bit wasted on that guy, because he had no axe nor hammer on his person. And it, it's like, with that name, surely you'd think you'd have at least one of them. <laughs> and,
4: and then you've got Johnny Killfist.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Although, to be <laughs> fair, yes, that, that one kind of works.
4: <laughs> but, yeah, um... One's very much uh nominative determinism and the other one just yeah, random words stuck <laughs> together I think. Yeah. Um no but I uh, opened the Agitator and um Propagandist two pack. They're great minis, yes. really like them. And the um siblings, I can't remember the names now off the top of my head, the Gunk Queen and the other guy mm-hmm. with the like many eyed lizard cat thing on his shoulder. Yes. Yeah, so uh, yeah, check out my Instagram for Reels uh, Sean knows if you're interested in what the parts are like. I, I, I thought it might be useful to people who like the kit bash and convert because there's some great little unique bits in there. um Also, uh, I can reveal now that I've been working on my Goliath Mauler conversion. um i have a video going up around the same time that this episode drops, so um, I'll probably throw a link in the group and on my instagram page so if people want to see uh what you can do with the kit with uh, some really simple steps um there's that and other than that not a lot to be honest mate
3: yeah, uh, well that's, that's just quite a lot more than me, because mine basically falls down to editing, that, that's what I've been up to since the last very very <laughs> long ago broadcast <laughs> that we put out before everything went to hell um, so yes uh, that, that's basically it for me as well so yeah, just to, to sort of summarise then firstly, yes, I, I also got some uh, sent the same models that Chris has been working on as well so thank you very much to GW for sending us those uh, review models uh, unfortunately I have not had the time uh, or energy to mind you, not though. normally would anyway, to paint them up and uh, display them but uh, as Chris has done uh, he's he's done a really good job of showing off with various parts. Definitely go check out uh, Chris's Instagram now because you can go see what he has done with the Goliath Mauler and it is awesome. Uh, it just needs a couple of little sponsor stickers on there and you can see exactly <laughs> where he's gone with that one.
4: Okay bud, so today's broadcast is going to be a special one and this is just for the release of the um, Aranthian Succession Cinderack Burn and so obviously so much shorter than normal, but right now we're going to get cleaned up and changed into clothes that aren't saturated in bug Group, and we'll be back in a moment.
3: See you in a sec.
5: It's some city radio.
6: Hello dear listener, I'm Brother Johns, a representative from the Hurting Guild of Hive Primus and faithful servant of House Cordor. Know that we pray for your immortal soul, and that the blessings of the God Emperor may shine upon you. You are listening to some city radio, the most revered of all Underhive radio transmissions.
5: That's right, motherfucker.
3: Okay, listeners, welcome back to what I suppose is essentially the only SCR <laughs> transmission station now in our trailer on the reach hauler. So, uh, up next is Shooting the Shit. It's
5: time to shoot the shit.
3: Okay, so today is literally just going to be a special broadcast to, I suppose in a sense, celebrate the uh, release of the Aranthian Succession, Cinderack Burning, uh, the latest book to drop from Games Workshop for Necromunda. And this is purely a narrative-driven supplement, is that what they said?
4: Yeah. That's that's what all the fluff, all the kind of promotional stuff says. Yeah, oh. it's um.
3: Is that actually it's... a bit derivative of me to say? Because it's not purely that, is it? It's it's it is a like massive. Uh, was it fifty pages of law they've got in here about everything that's been going on with Necromunda, and we'll get into that in a second. But in addition to that, there's a couple of other bits in there as well, isn't there?
4: Oh yeah, no, I, I think that um, that was just succinct. It wasn't necessarily derivative, because <laughs> yeah, it it's. It's 50 pages of pretty um, dense lore to set the scene and give you kind of the atmosphere of what's happening. Uh, Up-to-date events, a massive timeline, a massive um, family tree for Helmar himself. And then first part of the campaign, the succession campaign, um, which is still like a campaign in and of itself. Then you've got all of the scenarios. You've obviously got extra rules for Goliath. So you get the rules for the Goliath mauler, the rules for Goliath crew, the rules for the Esher cutter, the rules for Esher crew, all of their tactics that are available. And then obviously a smattering of different dramatis personae. So yeah, still quite a hefty book to be fair, but it's it's very different tonally to all of the other books so far.
3: Yes. So you are getting 128 pages of, of decent content in there, so it's 50 pages of it is lore, but th- th- let's talk about that now. I mean, first off, they've utilised, again, I, I, I know I like talking about this stuff, but the inside book covers, it's dedicated to different locations across Necromunda with some just you know epic sweeping artwork across both pages. Um, So I just think that's really cool that they're continuing to do that as a theme now rather than us getting the the map reprinted every time that we have done in past books. I mean, as soon as you open it on the page one, you instantly see that there's a difference to all the previous books that we've had before because there's a new kind of twisted version of the Necromunda logo that we know and love where it's kind of got like spider legs on it as opposed to it being more eagle-like. Yeah,
4: it looks like some kind of cult as basically taking over the the Necromundan imperial eagle and yeah distorted it for their own uh, nefarious
3: purposes uh, we've got narrative scenarios as well to go along with the campaign um, although i suspect you can probably utilize these for any other campaign system as well
4: no, absolutely i think the way they've differentiated them and again it kind of changes the way the campaign works is that the scenarios can be run as is just for scenarios and you've got objectives and obviously kind of tells you how to set everything up and your create selection and everything. But then there's another box next to it. And what you can do is play it as part of the ongoing narrative um, that's actually happening at the moment on Necromunda. And that would recommend that you use, or like think of them more like historic battles. So you're, you're using specific gangs in specific um, scenarios. Yeah. Obviously, you don't have to do that, and it presents it just as a scenario on its own. But on the, it's all, all of them have like that little side box that says you could play this as the um attempted assassination or this such and such key moments within the within the law. Um, yeah, to almost like yeah, historic battle is how I would describe it, like a historic war game.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I just had a look at that one actually. Dear. the assassin in the spire—it's literally playing out yeah the, the assassination of uh, Lord Helmar.
4: Yeah. And you you think it wouldn't take a lot to to modify those to be specific to your campaign if if you didn't want to actually kind of be tied in with a specific gang or whatever. You you it'd be quite easy to to tailor those. But yeah, I mean I I think that's the big thing Steve is that Necromunda's always been a a, a sandbox game like like I said in the last broadcast. There's been these kind of Locations and figures that are just permanent—they're there. They're, they're the kind of the stones that we guide ourselves by, the landmarks. But really, everything that happened in Necromunda had not had an effect on those individuals or those locations, um, on any kind of macro scale. Yeah. So you couldn't ever imagine Helmar not being there. You couldn't ever imagine one of the locations on the maps not being there. But now, essentially, within these fifty pages. The decimate a massive percentage of the planet of Necromunda. I mean, it it sounds like everything is going fucking wrong. I don't really want to go into the lore so much as to spoil individual stories too much, but essentially the Great Rift has meant that all of the psykers and several of the named ones I mentioned are being fucking tapped up by demons. So... It doesn't look like anyone's safe. Anyone with any kind of psychic ability is being tempted by these voices whispering in the void and in the night. And you get examples of this all across Necromunda. So you know something serious is going down. And then to top that off, the core of the planet is cooling. Um, So all of the thermal vents have gone cold. So people are freezing to death inside the the hive cities. That cooling and planetary cooling has then had an effect on the atmosphere so people in the wastes uh suffering in the worst possible way um yeah the the nobles are all locking themselves in the spires or doing anything to protect themselves while everyone else has just left to struggle and named figures are being attacked or killed or overthrown or uh, uh, outcast or It's really a story that you're playing as opposed to a story that you're telling, I think, in a nutshell. Was there anything that stuck out to you in particular that you would like to talk about? Well,
3: I mean, as you said, the the name characters, and probably best not to to spoil it for everyone, but literally within the first paragraph, one of my favourite dramatist persona uh, that doesn't really get, a lot of uh, mention in anything, uh, but is part of the big law of one of my gangs, is uh, literally mentioned in the first paragraph, so I was really pleased with that. But um, yeah, I mean everything you said is, is really quite beautifully sort of wrapped up everything that's going on, and it's a difficult thing because the word that immediately springs to mind for me as to what is going on on Necromunda is absolute chaos but the problem is is that in the 40k universe chaos has slightly different connotations Yeah, so it's not like absolute chaos in that sense i mean it's not like we've had the the warp literally open on the planet and demons are running amok everywhere but it's not that far off. yeah it's not
4: looking good i i said in the last broadcast i said it quite flippantly as well like people were saying oh they think ash wastes was the end of necromunda (laughs) <laughs> this looks like it's heading towards the end of necromunda because at the end of this at the end of however many books tell this story and how many different campaign like how many different parts of this campaign we get at the end of it the core of the planet is still going to be dead there's still going to be planet-wide demonic possession if not incursion even if they don't manifest physically the possessing key psychic figures and potentially all psychics so we don't know what result that's going to have the reason it's called the succession campaign is that you're either on the side of the imperial house or you're on the side of lady credo or you can try and remain impartial that's your three options and lady credo is trying to launch a counter attack against them um, palatine cluster because she wants to take over We've got all different characters from Helmar's lineage because apparently he has a lot of bastard children around the place, and,
3: and official ones as well. I think it's thirty official ones.
4: Yeah, so there's a lot of people wanting his place. Like they're they're not even waiting for him to be buried. He's like in stasis, and they're they're already making their plays for power. It doesn't look like there's going to be any interaction, any any interruption, any support from outside or off world. Because all of the shipping lanes have been closed down, the ports have been sealed. There's there's no way off or on to the planet unless you've got some kind of, you know what I mean, secret kind of railroad kind <laughs> yeah. of initiative going on where you're ferrying people, smuggling people out. It it sounds pretty final that, that what we're heading towards. It it's definitely just the beginning of that. They're just setting up. Yeah. For, it, it could get really bad but we're getting mentions of lots of stuff here that kind of like muties you know like i say a proper demonic possession yeah.
3: and it's just like the influence of the warp as well isn't it it's just driving like lesser beings and creatures to like madness and rage and all this kind of thing it's literally saying in there about like even as even in the book some city gets a mention and they're getting absolutely hammered by everything that's just decided to crawl out of the sun oh, yeah
4: absolutely um tentacled beasts and white-skinned monsters coming out of the sump and the Escher queen um who's leading the rebellion against these things and trying to save some city actually orders for melter bombs to be put (laughs) under the structure of some city and sink it into the sump to protect like the last port's that they can. You've got all these disparate gangs and houses and, and individuals coming together and just saying, yeah, we have to do it. But apparently, though, it is worth um, mentioning that some city has fallen several times <laughs> into the sun <laughs> and been rebuilt out of it. So it, it's more the the kind of the suggestion that the the planets cause cooling makes me think, shit, well, once a, well, once the planet's dead, it's dead. I mean, the reason the hive cities prevail and that you can live in them is that the heat sinks are literally the life pushing life. geothermal energy yeah. up into the spires, up from the right from the underhive and up into the spires. And that's how everyone stays warm and, and stays alive. Because
3: they pretty much screwed all the other potential uh, energy resources on the planet, haven't they?
4: Yeah, it's, it's, it's not looking good.
3: I mean, at that point, at that point, Chris, I would like to play devil's advocate. And you've gone, Oh, it's, it's it's like narratively looks like it is being very, uh, drawn to a conclusion. I would go, but is it? Cause this is the thing for me. I, I totally get what you're saying, but I am just like, so buzzing and excited about this book because it's just like, ah, Oh my God, everything is happening. How the hell is this going to sort itself out? And it's like, I don't know. And that's kind of exciting because I think, I think everything with Necromunda up to this point, including like way back to the 90s, is that, that that's your story. It's just part of the daily life of Necromunda. But this is shaking things up so much and we don't know where we're going. It, it, it's literally like taking your hands off the steering wheel whilst well, you're driving at 100 miles an hour down the highway and going, let's see what happens, guys.
4: Don't misread my um, my reading of the of of, of the way it's sounding as negativity. Oh no, not at all, not comp- at all. Of a complaint, I think it 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 it's phenomenal because it's the first time, like you say, that that we're being kind of um, brought into and playing for and deciding the fate of the story of Necromunda, whereas before we played inside of those kind of boundaries, yeah. but we didn't really affect anything. Now it's looking like the way you play the campaign is going to have a huge effect on the end result because although they can write the scenarios, they can write the law, they can write the guidelines, if you're playing a campaign of succession, at some point, one of the gangs in that campaign is going to become the ruler of Necromunda or is going to be instrumental in putting a certain individual into the uh, position of ruler of Necromunda. So you're actually having like a, a tangible effect yeah. on that.
3: Well, uh, maybe it's time for a shake-up round. <laughs> maybe we'll get better working out if someone else is in charge.
4: <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm just worried about the paychecks not yeah. coming in anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, it, yeah, it's it's really fucking hardcore. That, um, the 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 succession campaign is broken into three cycles, and the first cycle. Is brutal, yeah. Um, any sector mechanicus and zone mortalis game is played in pitch black, all of them. You don't, there's no options. Um, you can't buy equipment from your house list, so all of your special toys and uh bonuses that you get are gone.
3: Oh, is it just from the trading post? Yeah, I missed that bit.
4: (laughs) Yeah, um, all black market items and rare items add four to the result needed to get them. (laughs) Yeah.
3: I have missed these bits in here while I've been reading this. That is cool.
4: Um, And uh, what was it? Oh, yeah. All Ash Waste games are played in the worst possible... I can't remember which one it is. The weather Um, conditions. Yeah, in the worst weather and geological (laughs) conditions.
3: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) This is
4: hardcore. Hardcore, hardcore. On the other hand, because the Imperial Limits... Uh, the Imperial kind of watchers are not able to, and there's kind of a free-for-all, it's gone from gang warfare to kind of small militia. So the cred allowance for s- establishing a gang at the beginning of this campaign is 2,000. You can obviously add an extra 400 um, if you're adding vehicles. But yeah, 2,000 cred gangs to start with. So you can imagine how big and crazy those gangs could be and how crazy those gangs are going to get through the course of a campaign yeah. instead of territories you've got sympathizers so it works very similar to territories um you obviously use a card uh, a deck of cards to select them and basically the way it works instead of having locations listed on a map or something you've got all of the guilds all of the main factions all of the 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 main bodies and you are hoping to get as many of those as sympathizers as you can in order to strengthen you, so you get boons for having a certain sympathetic faction, according to your gang. Yeah. We've got new dramatis personae. Some of them have credit costs, but some of them have to be petitioned, so there's a petition table, and you can petition these fighters to come along and fight alongside you. Um, if you were either um, Imperial House or uh, Lady Creed or... Or unaligned, you're like trying to stay out of it, you're trying to be yeah, yeah. on the fence about it, then you can hire certain individuals according to that. Like, you, you you, make a player for them to come and join your gang. So, like, Lady Credo might join, et cetera. It's very similar in some aspects. So, you've got, like, the cycles. You've got the the first cycle, which is three weeks. The mid-cycle, which is downtime. Um, and then you've got the third cycle, which is three weeks again. And in that instance, in the third cycle, it's more business as usual. So, you've got... um, You can use your house list. You can obviously the The trading posts go back to standard rarity, and the black market availability goes back to standard. Yeah, it just sounds mental. Basically, I, I don't really know what to say beyond that. It's so different in in the way it's kind of structured. If familiar, you know, anyone who's played a campaign will will recognize the the, the basic components skeleton of it. Of it. Yeah. yeah, but the the kind of the playing of it sounds very different. I'd say. This really isn't a beginner's book. Oh no, it, not at all. It um, it's more for players who maybe <laughs> have played a lot of Sector Mech and Zomatalis and Dominion and um, yeah, uh, the Law and Misrule. I mean,
3: you make a really good point there because it's like I can just imagine the post going up in the group now. Someone going, oh, i just joined the group. I'm new to Necromunda. Someone bought me the Oranthian Succession Cinderact Burning. Uh, what else do I need to play? <laughs> yeah uh everything (laughs) mate you need literally everything else that is out there at the moment because yeah you you said this to me earlier on didn't you it's like like there are so many points in here where it references oh to do this bit you need to look at this book Uh, and it's mentioned here um like uh what is it house of blades is mentioned in there i think for certain characters that turn up and then you, 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 there's all the, all the books all the books get mentioned
4: yeah this is this is for the guy or the girl who has played through necromunda and is maybe wanting something of a different flavor i guess now this isn't going to stop you just sticking with um the original game or incorporating ashwears so you can essentially not get this book and i know that's quite a bold statement Except for the new Goliath vehicle, new Esher vehicle and their tactics cards. If you wanted to avoid this book and you don't play Goliath or Esher, you could easily avoid this book. It's not, it's not essential insofar as like Ash Wastes kind of, it isn't essential. You can play Mekamundi without it, but it's just giving you more options. This isn't more options. This is like a different... A different approach, completely, really. Yeah,
3: I think that's in part why I'm so excited about it, because it is just different, the way that they're handling it. But we're getting a different way to play this game that we've been playing for years now.
4: It does make me wonder, um, like, how many books there are in this series. Oh. Um, obviously, we've got to see the other vehicles for the other houses. We've only got Orlock, Goliath and Escher now, who have their own specific and their crew. So we've still got to see Delac, Vansar... Cordor, at least. Yes. That's if we don't get any of the extras.
3: Which you have to wonder if I was to sit there and go, okay, vehicles for different factions go, I honestly think it would be Vansar, black and Cordor that I'm left sitting there going, um, I'm not sure for these ones. <laughs> so you have to wonder if that's why we've ended up with the uh, Orlock, Goliath, and Esher first.
4: I guess we're going to get variations on, on the themes, which we have. Um, However, uh, when we will get to these, because I think they do bear talking about, it's interesting that the Goliath and the Escher both have, like, obviously they're unique aesthetically, but they also have rules and things in that make them unique to play. Like, they, they, they work in a unique manner. So I think people was saying, I expected Escher, uh, sorry, I expected Van Saar to get hover tech. The Cutters aren't Hovertech. They're essentially mounts that fly, is what they are. The Goliath is the only vehicle so far that has the hybrid drive rule, which we'll come to later. So they're getting these vehicles or mounts, but they all have like their own unique little twist. Like with the Orlock, you got the dedicated gun rule with the guy on the back of the quad, meaning that you didn't have to move and shoot. You could, um, you could shoot more than once or whatever it was I can't uh, the, the rule dedicated. for
3: the allot quad was that you get the extra turn so with normally small vehicles of that size only get i think it's uh two turns but with
4: oh no you could turn as many That's times it. as you yeah, want yeah. In the central point but yeah the other one was dedicated gunner, oh, right, so yeah. it, it it improved like your your attack rate and your shooting mm. basically but what i'm wondering is if we'll see the next step of the campaign maybe a little bit more law I'm wondering if it won't be quite as heavy in law the next time. But could be. I mean, they've obviously got a story that they want to tell. So law, the second part of the succession campaign, and we can only imagine that things are going to get worse, be exacerbated, and you know the situation's going to get more dire. So the next stage of the campaign could be potentially even more brutal. Oh God, I, I do that. wonder if we'll see a couple <laughs> of other factions brought in because they're talking about huge cult uprisings. Like, I mean, to, in fact, to go back to some city, they've erected an effigy of one of their gods. So everyone who hasn't got out of some city has gone insane. Um, Because uh, there's this wire, this this steel effigy created with four fa- this four-faced god. And just, just being in the presence of that's enough to turn you mad. So, yeah, it... It's not looking good for anyone anywhere. I think there's like a couple of mentions that the squad prospectors have like they've launched these massive energy shields, so that's kind of given them some protection. Um, Some of the other factions have kind of burrowed down and and dug in to where they can make kind of as much the situation as they can, like uh, seeking out any kind of shelter. But a lot of them have just gone underground, sealed themselves off, or sealed themselves into the spire. And it's just everybody fighting on this planet that looks like it's about to start tearing itself apart, never mind the individuals on it.
3: It's it's like the Necromunda apocalypse, basically, isn't yeah. it? Which is a lot for Necromunda.
4: Uh, yeah, to the dead world is going to be dead again.
3: The dead world just became deader. Yeah,
4: exactly. Necromunda 2,
3: deader than before. <laughs> um, dead and dead, Yeah.
4: <laughs> what... Uh, made me think hang on are they are they winding this down was because i don't know if you remember end times when they they closed down warhammer fantasy battle and that's how we've got age of Sigmar. was that this big kind of narrative event that they ran for so i wasn't playing at that time i just remember walking past jw and seeing the big posters for end times and then i've read a lot of people that were unhappy or kind of not sure about the end of warhammer fantasy um, but they, they actually wrote it into the law that the the old world was destroyed and then you've got all these and please I'm not an AOS guy so don't come at me um, <laughs> yeah. chat you've got all these like different realms and and places where AOS takes place and it's like the, the shattered remnants of the old world as well as all these kind of different planes of existence I don't 100% understand it because I've not looked into it but I'm wondering if that's what made me think. Oh, hang on, is that is that this for oh ah, I see. Yeah. Now, the other option is the planet gets so fucked up by the end of this that we end up having to uh, go off planet, and that would tie nicely into the eye of Selene. Mm,
3: yeah,
4: I'm I'm purely spitballing yeah. here. I'm not. You know, I don't want to come across speculation, as like doom and folks. This is not something that we know. It's fucking interesting, like you said. It just it's kind of it's. Yeah, this is different. This is not what we've been playing for five years, yeah. six years.
3: No, I reckon we get. We, I re, again pure speculation. Uh, I reckon we're going to get Van Sar save the day. Uh, STC is going to come into it. Uh, it's going to be you know reboot the planet somehow.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, um, th- there's one of the visions, and I think it's it's right at the front. And this this psychic's having this like waking nightmare of all these things that are going on and they're uh, witnessing, um, like, she says she witnesses this great archaeotech turn into a mechanical spider and scuttle away. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> what, do you reckon that's the STC cone? Fuck this, I'm off.
4: <laughs> well, we, we've we've talked about in previous episodes how one of the things that they've been doing in the lore and that wasn't there before, like, in in, in the earlier iterations of Necrom- Necromunda, was that the doomsday clock seemed almost at 5 to 12... For every like whenever you read the House of Books, it would always be and pressures are building and it looks like this is just about to tip or that's just about to run out or this is just about to blow. And it was like, oh, it makes the tension, like it provides the the narrative tension, to you know what I mean to, to to make your house want to fight and fight against these other houses and have this supremacy. But now it looks like we're, we're probably one minute to midnight on this doomsday clock now. Yeah. It really does feel like it's it's coming to some kind of... Um, certainly, if it's not an end of the game, then an end of the story of Necromunda as we have been happily playing <laughs> in it for, for years.
3: At this point, it feels like Necromunda as a locomotive has really got up to speed you know, it's it's doing really well, it's selling very well, it, it works so well for the models across various different things, like you can get uh, models being used for, I know, like Astra Militarum and things like that, back and forth, it, everything is just working so well, I think, for the game at the moment, that I think for them to go, yeah, and, and that's it, that's the end of the planet, oh well. I, I think I, I, there's got to be some kind of story. There's got to be, like, some kind of... Someone swoops in and, and saves it. That that's, that's my personal thoughts on it. There, there's going to be a big epic thing, and I, I, I'm just so excited to see where they're going with it. It's like, ah, I, do, I just want to know.
4: I'm not like, oh, it feels like it's been wound down to kind of retire. It, if anything, it's it's gone the other way, because, I mean, you're talking about... um. Uh, Goliath and esher have had this massive rift between them like to the point where they can't Goliath can't rely on the Esher for the chems that they need. so they go to Vansar in order to get support from Vansar and Vansar developed this new cyber fist that they can have attached. but the cyber fist, although it's really effective, it dramatically shortens the lifespan of the Goliath that um, that, that has it implanted there's talk of the vansar tricking themselves like um conning people in power to be able to get to these old devices to try and get them to work again and what they're actually doing is the stealing and tech. The goliath aren't able to wait for their vat born to be fully cooked so they've just born an army of semi-ready goliath just dribbling morons <laughs> but like furious, vi- ultra-violent Goliath. And I mean, a uh, standard Goliath is ultra-violent, so you can imagine what an ultra-violent, ultra-violent Goliath is like. So,
3: like a colour hue shift away from orcs, basically?
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, possibly as close to them as you would get without being, yeah, made of mushrooms themselves. Yeah. No, it's... it's. It, it, I am with you. I think it's really exciting because it's like, what, what else can they bring up? Is this where we see, like, wasteland muties coming out and, and attacking settlements or hive uh, clusters is this where cults come into their own and become more of a kind of a, a main antagonist is this do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. is this where the the, the gene stealer uh, infestation becomes more pronounced is this where chaos starts to become more more manifest on the planet so it's not just cults you know I mean worshipping these gods they don't understand, will we actually start to see the physical presence of chaos on Necromunda? They could go anywhere with it. It's it's that's what I'm saying yeah. they're not afraid to to say that city's fallen, it's dead, it's gone. That whole section of the ash waste is under an acid sea. This has happened. That's happened. That person's dead. That person's fucking as good as dead. It Yeah, it, it feels like all bets are off and anything could happen. Yeah. So when I say this looks like the end for Necromunda as we know it, I don't necessarily think it's the end of the game. Just the it, planet. it's changing <laughs> everything. Because, yeah, short of a Deus Ex Machina of just like... And then everything was all right and back to normal. I don't see how you can, you can <laughs> yeah. step backwards. Do you know what yeah, I mean?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I totally get where you're going with it, yes. And I, and I agree. Uh, but I'm just... I am I feel like I'm the guy who sat on top of the meteor that's about to crash into the planet, like riding it rodeo-style, swinging my hat in the air going, Whee! <laughs> so, uh, the end is nigh. And it's just like, yeah, this is so cool. I mean... We've, we've said about how um, this book is not required for certain people. It's definitely not required for people that have just got into the game. But it, I, for, I'm going to say, for people that are really into Necromander, if Necromander is your bag, then this book is for you, baby. It's, yes, the, the lore in here, I am so excited about it. It is totally worth the entrance for you to get this book, in my opinion. <laughs> in my humble opinion, it is totally worth it.
4: Oh yeah, and, and let's not forget you get a, a full campaign that you can play through, and you don't, you know, you could just play this on its own and then go back to business as usual. Yeah. There's nothing stopping that,
3: as I say, because it's, it's entirely narrative. It's just like, okay, lads, uh, let's play the uh, Aranthean succession stuff, and uh, then we can just go back to get, you know playing as per normal after we've done that for a, yeah, for a couple and, of months. And yeah.
4: you've got to wonder, is it being treated as like a separate? Kind of stream, almost. So you've got Necromunda, or oh, you could play this special kind of Necromunda where we're playing these historical battles, these actual events that that are chronicled in the law. So yeah,
3: it's, and then it's, someone it's, pipes up and goes, "Playing historical battles, isn't that essentially like us playing World War ii <laughs> tabletop?" And then everyone looks at each oh, other, yeah, goes, but, "Oh no!"
4: <laughs> well, it's only like horus heresy if you think of it like horus heresy, horus heresy is an established set of events. That's that very happen. true. Yeah. You know, but people still play the games within that, and the outcomes can be very different to what was written in one of the books. So it it's that's that's the way it, it feels. I've never played a, a proper narrative set. I mean, what is it with seasons with forty k or something yeah. like that? Or but yeah, um, no, I think um, I think it's enormous. I, I really do. I think it's a it's a it's a massive tonal shift for the way Necromunda's played. I guess in being practical, it makes no difference. It's just another story. It's just another game. It's just another campaign. Mm. And, you know, you you'll you can roll another gang to start the next one and go back to basics or, or mix it up as complex as you want. It's...
3: Ironically, it seems a lot simpler than um, the Outcast campaign. Yeah. I mean, it's like yeah. such big, earth-shaking... Consequences, but you know it's it's a lot easier to run. So yeah, um, going back to something that you mentioned earlier on about, are we going to see new factions coming up? Maybe this is where we go, we get the muties come back in, where we get all the scavies turn up as gangs, and we start seeing those being put out. Um, maybe, oh, what was the one that was mentioned like absolutely ages ago? I think in in that slideshow that had all the the teasers for things to come. Was it Cargo Cult's? or is that going to be specifically Eye of Selene? Do you think that's a couple of steps ahead still?
4: I am not sure. I really can't call it anymore. Um I think it would be a perfect time uh, to bring Scabbies in. Um I think it's also a perfect opportunity to bring Spireus in now that you've got this kind of this fight of the nobles yeah. to kind of to to achieve the succession to the throne of Necromunda. Um I I really think we could see them in this series of um, campaign
3: parts. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I I hadn't thought of it like that, but my thought was that the nobles are just going to take one look out of their Spire window at everything that's going on going, "Mm, I don't think I'm going to go hunting today. I I think I might just stay at home and read a book or something.
4: You you could be right. I'm purely speculating. I'm just thinking that if they need a reason for Spires, surely... People trying to get into the spires, which is eventually going to ha- if if the people below spire level survive and and the rebellion builds, they're eventually going to get to the doors of the spire because they're going to want those because that's you know what I mean that's the best place to be yeah. essentially. Um, they're going to want all of the wealth that's amassed in there. They're going to want access to um, ports. They've
3: not been shut down, yeah. To
4: me, I mean, if I was a chinless noble who had been hiding away, I'd want to strap myself into like, a maltadon suit or an Auris suit and fight back. But again, this is pure speculation. They are not in the book. Let me just be absolutely clear <laughs> about that. I don't want people to get excited about that. It's just when the game's taken such a, a significant shift in its approach it then kind of spawns a whole new kind of thought process think well where can this go where can that go where can this go because yeah it like i said all better off there's there's no seeing where this ends
3: so <clears throat> the uh the fall of bad zones outpost uh, if you uh, and as you say every single one of these scenarios has got like the little uh, brown cutout box Uh, And it says the fall of Sump City, so interesting one. If players wish, they may use this scenario to represent the fall of Sump City as the Eshers and their allies fight for Sump City against Chaos Cultists corrupted gangs, and the beasts of the Underhive. Eventually, they are forced to escape onto waiting boats and set off charges in the city's foundations to sink it. In order to do this, make the following changes. Sorry, as I'm just reading this, it's like utterly horrified at the same time. Yeah. Um, the defenders should be a House Escher gang, uh, the attacker's gang is made up of a mix of heli- a mix of helot cha- chaos cultists corpse grinder cults and exotic beasts exotic beasts do not need to have an owner and will operate independently the endless hordes rule is in effect see below endless hordes um, in each end phase, any of the attackers' gangs, Jews, or exotic beasts that have been taken out of action return to the battlefield by being placed in base contact with the attackers' board edge.
4: Yeah, so that's going to be a crazy tense. Yes. Fight.
3: <laughs> so yeah, I mean that alone uh, emphasizes what you said earlier about you know the necessity for what you said or I said and the necessity for other books. Um, because you've got the Chaos Cultists and uh, the Corpse Grinders which are going to be in the Book of Ruin Um, then you've got Exotic Beasts which I think are pretty much scattered across all of the books aren't they?
4: Yeah. So Again, to go back to that point of this isn't a starting point this is definitely for more experienced players and where you individually might not have all of the books chances are that if you're playing at this level and in campaigns that you've got enough people in your group to Kind of see that you've got at least one copy of each book to be able to cross-reference all of those rules that are needed.
3: Yeah, Um, I thought the way that the challenges were dealt with for the campaign was actually really cool. Oh, that was it, yeah, yeah, yeah. So during each cycle, each player may issue one challenge to another gang to do battle over control of a sympathiser, nominated by the challenger. In the first campaign cycle, challenges are made in a random order. Uh, In later cycles, they are made in ascending order of gang ratings, starting with the gang with the lowest gang rating. Um, If two gangs have the same gang rating, the winner of a roll-off makes their challenge first. Now, I really like the sound of that. I mean... From a organisational point of view, from running a campaign, that means you've got to be really hands-on with it uh, because you've got to like go to people in turn and go, okay, you need to issue a challenge first, challenge who you like, and then you know go from that point and then on to the next person going up the scale of the gang ratings. But I just thought that was a, a really nice way of dealing with it.
4: It's definitely mixing it up. Um, should we break down the three cycles?
3: Yeah, yeah sorry folks if you're like wondering oh my god they're scattergunning all over the place with this but that's because it is like as you flick you know what it's like when you get a new book You, you, you start at the beginning you read bits and then you go okay let's see what else is in it and you flick through it and you find random bits and then you're like oh wow Oh wow! As you're going through it, flicking back and forth in the book, and I'm still at that phase with this where I'm literally doing that still and finding things that I've not necessarily seen before in here, because uh, unfortunately, I think if I literally try and sit and read a book from the first page through to the last one in order, um, that my brain doesn't do so well with that. But, but picking it up and flicking through and finding things, and it's just like so many cool little things. But yeah, as Chris said earlier on. Um, the conditions for how you are supposed to fight in this campaign, and like the, the conditions which you fight in, like Pitch Black. Really cool. So, yeah, Chris, did you want to read those out?
4: Yes. Uh, so first, the Great Darkness phase, and this runs for three cycles. So the first part of the succession campaign follows the gangs as they try to consolidate their position while cut off from their house and survive, uh, survive the Great Darkness. During this phase, the following rules apply. Gangs may no longer re-equip from their house equipment list Uh-oh. during the post-battle sequence. In addition, gangs cannot recruit new fighters, crew, or hangers-on. Uh, increase the rarity of all items in trading posts and black market by four. Uh, all sector Zone uh, Zormitalis battles have the pitch black rolls in effect. Yep. waste uh, battles take place during the changing, se- changing seasons, and only unclaimed sympathisers may be claimed as rewards for gang battles Unless, they are, unless there are no unclaimed uh, sympathisers. Yeah.
3: Now, interesting um, point there. Um, ash Waste Battles take place during the Changing Seasons. I can't remember off the top of my head, and I am going to go reach for the books, but are, is the Changing Seasons only in the main Ash Wastes rulebook? Yes. Book? Yeah. It is. It's not in the... No, it's not in the Outland... Outlanders Book of the Outlands. Oh. Okay, so yeah, so... That again, that kind of infers that this is definitely. I don't know. This this is feeling very much like an arbitrator book, really.
4: Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably hit the nail on the head. If you took the Escher and Goliath vehicles out, it would essentially be an arbitrator's kind of source book, or like a Dungeon Master's source book almost. It's that kind of effect because you get all that flavor in the fifty pages of law, so you can really like in all of the. The, the battles that you're planning for people to fight and you know what I mean you can really kind of steep it in the in, in the atmosphere of, of, of what's going on. Um, second uh, is the downtime cycle, and that's one cycle. So during down downtime, this is where you get to kind of fucking. Put your tail between your legs and patch yourself up and stuff. Um, gangs have a chance to recover and regroup, taking the opportunity, uh, opportunity to reequip, fix up wounded fighters, and repair and upgrade vehicles that have been reconnected to the greater network of their house. Uh, exceptionally bold and active players might put their gangs through a special side battle uh, if they can't, if they just can't be away from the roar of guns and chain blades for that long. Uh, the effects of downtime. So, after the last battle of the Great Darkness phase, players complete the following steps at the end of the post battle sequence. So, fighters recover, captives are returned, experienced dupes and prospects are promoted, fresh recruitment and declare allegiance. Ah,
0: so
3: there's the difference then. So, it's the declare the, the allegiance. Other than that, I think that's pretty much a standard downtime for a campaign. Yeah. Yeah,
4: exactly. Um, so any fighters in recovery boxes on the gang roster are cleared any captured fighters are released the gang that had captured them receives half the creds etc uh, so yeah it goes uh, oh, a fresh recruitment uh, all gangs gain 250 creds to spend on new equipment from gang equipment list Or recruitment fighters, vehicles or hangers on they must be spent now they don't go into your stash um, you can obviously supplement that with extra creds you do have from your stash Uh, And then you declare allegiance. So all gangs must declare their allegiance for either Lady Credo, uh, the Imperial House, or attempt to remain unaligned. There are no limitations as to which gangs can declare for which side in the heat of a civil war. Any ally is is acceptable, and that's something that you'll notice when you um pledge an allegiance to either Creed or the Imperial House or staying unaligned. It gives you access to people that you wouldn't normally be able to use. So normally only Orlok can use Vesper, yeah, Vesper Minks. But whereas in this, anyone who makes the right declaration of allegiance can use her.
3: Yeah, it's the uh, unaligned one. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, Imperial House, uh, you get to use uh, was it Sinis, a chemist mother, who's normally only available for Escher I believe. Uh, so that's in yeah Necromunda House of Blades, see so page seventy two. Um, and then Lady Credo. Uh, if you support her, you actually get to use her or you get to use Ethereum sticks, yeah.
4: That, that's the, the awesome Forge World mini we saw in the current armor with the Karyatid. Yes. Yeah.
3: And what's interesting about that is that you're only declaring your allegiance uh, halfway into the campaign, essentially. Yeah. But then we've got... Spark of Rebellion, which is Phase 3. So, second part of the succession campaign sees gangs defend their sympathisers against their rivals as well as win over those controlled by other gangs. During this phase, the following rules apply. Uh, there is no restriction to adding more models to the gang roster. Items in the Trading Post and Black Market revert to their usual rarity ratings. The Pitch Black rules are no longer automatically in effect for all Sector Mechanicus and Zone Mortalis battles. Ashwaist battles take place during the season of Ash. Only controlled sympathisers may be fought over and claimed as a reward by the victor of a gang battle. Uh, See issuing and accepting challenges. So yeah, it's definitely the third part where it all calms down and goes back to pretty much how we know it for normal campaigns.
4: Yeah, and basically to win the succession campaign, the main aim is to gather as many sympathisers to your cause as possible. So they're obviously you challenge each other to take their sympathisers from them or you know, uh, to, to get unassigned ones if the situation stipulates that instead.
3: Normally when you uh, end a campaign you do have the, the different winning criteria which tends to be number of out of actions that you've caused, the amount of credits that you've managed to accumulate, the amount of reputation that you've gained. Um, I think those tend to be... Oh, and uh, Territories, that tends to be the other one as well, doesn't it? Oh, oh, and uh, also, uh, I think Warmonger's one of them, isn't it? Where the, the number of battles that you took part in. So those tend to be like your standard ones. So there's a couple of twists on that in here. Um, so you get Champion of House Helmor, uh, which is the player's gang that has won the most scenarios for the Imperial House. Champion of the Rebellion, the player's gang that has won the most scenarios for Lady Credo's Rebellion. Um, Survivor, the player's gang who suffered the fewest deaths amongst their fighters during the Great Darkness phase. Uh, Hoarder of Coin, uh, this one's probably going to be more obvious. Uh, the player's gang with the highest wealth at the end of the campaign, which honestly, given the, the uh, terms of the campaign, I don't think it's going to be that high. Uh, leader of Men, the Players' Gang, which controlled the most territories at the end of the campaign, and uh, legendary status. The Players' Gang with the highest reputation at the end of the campaign. So more more standardized ones there. But yeah, I like the Survivor one.
4: It's like they've just taken the brakes off completely of Necromon. now. They've opened up stuff and closed off stuff in different areas in order to force kind of a different kind of play. I mentioned sympathizers before. So everyone you've ever heard of gets kind of a mention in here. Should we just go through the list rather than reading all of the boons and the support and everything? Yeah,
3: yeah, man. Let's just read out the actual sympathisers and not all the details for them. And that way we can leave a bit of mystery for all the listeners. Okay, so you get
4: um, gang sympathisers, Promethean guild sympathisers, water guild, slave guild, corpse guild, guild of coin, iron guild, imperial, imposter... Coal Trader, Narco Lord, Rogue Factoria, Fallen House, Psy um, Syndica, House Catalyst, House Alanti, uh, House Green, uh, House Co-Iron, House Ranlaw, House Tai, Electro Guild, Air Guild, Venator, Dregs of the Hive, Wasteland Scrapper, Second Best Smuggler, Heretic <laughs> uh, Sympathiser, uh, Explorator. And they all have their own boon, yeah. Um, and they all have a different uh, effect on your gang in the spark of rebellion phase. Um, it could be that you get extra fighters, bounty hunters for free. You know the the typical kind of boons that you get in Necromunda, really. And then, um, obviously, you you might be adding additional credits or experience or reputation or whatever to your game.
3: It's a nice twist on sort of like the Dominion campaign where you've got territories that have various boons that come with it.
4: Yeah, it's the same thing in all but name, really, isn't it?
3: It's an easier campaign in its mechanics to run than, say, for example, the Outcast campaign.
4: Yeah, it certainly seems... It, it's more like a standard campaign than the Outcast campaign in the way it yeah. plays. Whether that's just for part one and part two becomes more complex, it, it's impossible to call. But yeah, definitely, it, it's a lot simpler, I guess, is, is probably the only way to describe that, yeah. I have to agree.
3: I think... That we could probably sit here all day and talk about the law and speculate on that the campaign itself is interesting it's a different approach the, than what we've had so far but again it mechanically as, as we've just mentioned it's not that different from a dominion campaign so there's probably not too much new information we can give on that so did we want to talk about the vehicles that we've got for goliath and now?
4: yeah definitely We've seen previews of these, and Steve and I are lucky enough to get sent the Mauler kit. Uh, so, and um, we've had a look at those and to play around with those. But um the rules are also in here as well. So, the Escher Cutter, and this is their sweet jet bike that we've seen on Warhammer Community page. What's unique so far, we don't know if this is going to be unique across the board, but is the Escher get a mount that's specific as opposed to a vehicle? Um, obviously, a mount is war gear that gives you the trait mounted which is different to how vehicles work you don't have to kind of rely on any of the um, loss of control or anything like that essentially an escher cutter increases your movement to nine ignores all terrain may move freely between levels without restriction can never fall may move over enemy fighters ignoring the one inch rule and gain the mounted condition they may not however ignore impossible terrain and may not end their movement with the base overlapping an obstacle within one inch of another fighter's base Uh, it cannot be combined with any other war gear that affects a fighter's movement so no trying to cheese like 20 inch movements or whatever with different kind of uh, war gear
3: that is a very important specification, though. It because is, because of... it's
4: certainly something that I heard people talking about when they were like, oh, stick that on a Death Maiden and do this and do this and do this. Now, these mounts are restricted to gang leader, champion or prospect. You can't just give these to your gangers or your specialist. In addition, they must be equipped with one of the following weapon options. It doesn't take up a weapon slot for the fighter. It's considered to be fitted with suspensors. So, straight out the gate, you're paying 85 credits for your cutter.
3: Which isn't bad. What was the cost for just a standard mount?
4: Was a 40 Ooh. or 50 creds? I can't remember.
3: I think it's 50. 50.
4: Well, we'll say 50. Obviously, you're paying 35 more creds there straight away. But you're getting that 9 inch movement, which is nice. You're getting the fact that it's essentially flying. You know what I mean? It can go anywhere and do anything. Bearing in mind you will have the restrictions that a mount normally uh, gives you. So you won't be able to have three weapons on a fighter. You'd only be able to use two uh, while you're mounted. And you can't go on terrain or vehicles. The weapon options that come with it are the twin-linked grenade launcher uh, with frag and crack grenades. Um, That's rocking at 75 credits. Twin-linked heavy stubbers, uh, 200 credits. And the twin-linked plasma guns. Which is uh, 110 credits.
3: Twin linked plasma guns for 110 credits. Yes.
4: Twin linked plasma guns. So that means you seems pretty good to me. You're re-rolling uh, ammo rolls because it's twin linked.
3: Do you have the option to put it on maximum? Yeah. It's just a. It's just a plasma gun. As long as you don't go on maximum, you're fine.
4: <laughs> yeah. But no, it's it's it. I mean, it's nasty. It's twin linked plasma guns are, are really nasty. You are paying for that at 110 credits. I mean, the heavy stuff at 200 credits but it's on a really fast really crazy unique mount uh, also just incorporated into the 85 credit cost is gas trap launchers during their activation a fighter equipped with an escher cutter may make the deploy gas trap double action when this action is taken the fighter places a gas trap again it's telling you to refer to the Ashways rulebook. book uh, within one inch of the base and then may 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 move up to their movement characteristic I think gas trap. You're going to see that in the. Uh, that's just going to be in the basic rule book, isn't it? You don't have to have. I, I would hope so. Yeah. Cause
3: it, I mean, the fact that it's referred to the ash wastes rule book here is, is again perhaps a little limiting because not necessarily everyone's got that no because i
4: think a lot of people relied on book of the outlands to get the vehicle rules didn't they so and that's then it, they're just yeah. using the standard rulebook.
3: but yeah i think you're right i think gas traps uh as a standard i just mentioned in yeah. the ordinary rulebook. so
4: thoughts on that then what do you think about the cut? i think it's really cool yeah addition to escher i think it really suits them
3: Again, it's, it's like shaking things up for the different vehicle types that you're getting between the different factions. So everybody else, yeah, everybody's got access to mounts, but not everybody's got access to mounts that already come equipped with twin-linked weapons, including twin-linked plasma guns. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a really cool, unique little vehicle for them. Visually, it's absolutely spot on as far as I'm concerned. I don't think we need to go into that one again, but yes, yeah. it's awesome. Um, so, yeah, I just think it's a really cool little vehicle. Do you want to talk about the crew? Uh, the crew, yeah, sure. Um So everyone that we've had so far... I say everyone. Yeah, yeah, it is. E- everyone who's able to have crew because of access to vehicles has had their gangers put forward so far. So we've had uh, Orlock, G- Goliath, as we'll touch on in a minute. Squat Prospect had a crew driver as well, haven't they? Yeah. So Escher Hellions, as they're called. Uh, 30 credits, which... Is actually really cheap. I'm pretty certain that the squat prospect one was forty or forty five. Yeah.
4: They were they were pricey. They were even more expensive than the Gilda Coin ones, weren't they? They were they were the same stat line but more expensive.
3: Oh, the other thing that I've just remembered that I wanted to mention about the cutters is that with Escher, the advantage that you've got is all of the um initiative checks that you're gonna have to do if you come off your bike. Because with with mounts you have that whole problem of trying to get back up if they get knocked down. Uh, there's a whole table for it and everything. Um, but yeah, anyway, so um, yeah, the Escher Hellion, uh, obviously, all of the vehicle characteristics are dependent upon what vehicle it is you stick them on. But the crew characteristics, you've got a ballistic skill of four plus, leadership seven plus, uh, cool seven plus, will seven plus, and intelligence seven plus. So, I mean, they're not the worst stats still. all. but
4: no, fairly standard, to be fair. I think they're pretty decent can't really find fault with it i mean i think it's going to be fairly standard across the board you might get slightly higher mental stats for some of them than others but the ballistic skill seems to be hemmed in a four for everyone so far
3: yeah speaking of uh, skill access uh, leadership secondary, savant primary, shooting secondary, and driving primary, obviously.
4: Yeah, I think savant's going to come in really handy if you're paying for these expensive cutters, because, I mean, for mounts, they are expensive. For what they are, they aren't. I mean, they, they give you a lot, and because they're going on your, essentially your special characters, like your leader, your chumps, and know you can put them on prospects. I don't know if that's something that people want to do or not, but um, you're going to be wanting to generate some cash to be able to kind of cover that. Uh, and that's a, a good kind of way to uh, allow for that
3: so yeah that's the Eshahelian. Um then we've got the Goliath Road Thug Who's only twenty-five credits, so even cheaper still.
4: When you're looking at his mental stats, you can kind of see why he
3: ah yes, yeah. So ballistic skill four plus, fairly standard. Leadership eight plus, cool five plus, will nine plus, and intelligence eight plus. So yes, there's there's the, the stats are definitely creeping in the wrong direction. there. Yeah. Access for skills is leadership secondary, savant secondary, shooting primary, and driving primary.
4: They're Getting access to shooting skills to use that like grenade launcher or boulder option. Should we have a look at the mauler?
3: Yeah, yeah, sure, go for it.
4: Okay, so your mauler is like a light vehicle, um, equivalent to your Orlock Outrider. Uh, it's a hundred credits, um, at base level. Got a movement seven front, side, and rear toughness, uh, five, four, and four, respectively. Pull points it's three, and handling is a five plus. Uh, save as a 5 plus like your armour.
3: So definitely tougher than the quad bike for the Orlocks.
4: Yes, Um, and it's got a few special rules kind of tied into it, so obviously, basic one, you get one weapon hard point, um, and any weapon gains crew operated and front arc trait. Uh, But then a couple of special ones here, we've got uh, the power ram, um, a vehicle fitted with a ram adds two to the strength, AP and damage of any vehicle impact involved in, in its front arc. So that becomes really nasty when you compare it with the chart that you're using. It becomes like a seriously nasty little thing to be ramming into the side of anything.
3: And I mean, to be fair, when you look at it, especially when you've got like the grinder bits attached to the front of it and the big spikes, it's like, yeah, you wouldn't want to be crashing into the front of that.
4: No, it looks like... uh a fucking rocket-powered can opener, essentially, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And then you've got hybrid drive. Obviously, it's a half-track, so the front has a wheel and the back has a track, unless you main, you've changed that. So this vehicle uses a mix of wheels and tracks for locomotion. It counts as both wheeled and tracked and may choose which set of rules to apply when interacting with difficult terrain. So obviously, it's going to benefit you to say, I'm tracked on this really loose gravel. Um, etc and on tarmac you're just going to want to go full speed and use wheel um, yeah. you get uh, two body upgrade slots one drive upgrade slot and one engine upgrade slot and a creation you've got the twin link grenade launchers uh, for 75 credits or the twin link bolters for 65 credits again getting access to that twin link rules so you re-roll ammo rolls um, and you've got a Series of different upgrades available from the equipment list, but obviously you can get different stuff once you get to a trading post.
3: So they're not exactly cheap when you add up all of the components for it. So you've got your hundred credits base, you've got your twenty five credits on top of that for the actual uh, crew, and then let's say we go with the twin linked bolters. I mean, to, to be fair, also the um, the grenade launchers are only like ten credits more than that but 65 or 75 credits respectively. Um, so you're looking at about 200 credits, roughly?
4: Yeah, so say you're getting 400 credits for vehicles, you're hitting that relatively fast, like with either two Maulers or one Mauler and a few mounts.
3: Which works nicely, because you get two of them in the box.
4: Well, yeah, two of these in any Goliath gang is going to make people think it's, it's definitely a, <laughs> yeah. a, solid little, a solid little vehicle. And then obviously, we get the vehicle gang tactics table for Esher, and then the vehicle gang tactics list for Goliath.
3: Which, again, is nice, always nice to see because it means that as and when tactics cards become available, uh, you don't necessarily need to get those. You can just stick with the books now and use like a D66 rolling table if you want to randomly generate uh, the ones that you've got available for them. And that's. Pretty much it, really, then, isn't it?
4: I think so, yeah. You've there's some lovely artwork in there, like you said, some nice uh, promo shots.
3: Oh, throughout the whole book, there's amazing artwork. Oh,
4: uh, something that you pointed out to me um, mm-hmm. when you first started looking through the book is it looks to be that we're getting some kind of Goliath Ashwist's add-on pack you know like you did with the heads and the backpacks for Orlock.
3: Oh yeah 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 because if you check in the uh, the pictures where you've got the Orlocks it's like oh look he's wearing a little backpack and he's got a different head on him. So yeah it's 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 the same thing that we had with the uh, Orlocks wasn't it?
4: Yeah. Uh, but so, notice, there's nothing on there for Escher, so I didn't I, I looked through all the pictures and I couldn't see any new heads for Escher, So I'm thinking that maybe it's just the the Goliath getting noise at the moment.
3: Maybe. Um well, to be fair, you have to wonder if we're gonna get little bits leak out for more gangs as we go on. So it, we might get a bit more Esher stuff turn up at oh, later absolutely. on. absolutely.
4: Yeah, no one will get fucking corpse grinder weapons sure two years later. It's like anything's game, isn't it? Let's be honest.
3: So, anything else that you want to talk about with the Oranthian Succession at Cinderact Burning?
4: Yeah, I think it's a great book. I think um, I don't like to use the word veteran because it makes it sound like you've earned something, but just, like experienced players are going to get a lot from it. I think it's a really great way to play. Really exciting that they're actually catapulting the law the way they are. Um, obviously, big fan of the. Um, the cutter and the Mauler, I think they're great. It's nice to see the crew list getting expanded. Um some cool little scenarios in there to play through. Uh, and yeah, I think where it really shines is the lore, the the the, the little stories that they tell that kind of that that set the atmosphere for the for the expansion itself. It just makes me think, what's next? What's next? What's next? Yes. And that's always <laughs> a good thing. You know, I always want to be anticipating what they can do next, and this this has that in um, spades. So, not big fan, definite big fan.
3: Yeah, and never has that anticipation of, of what's next been greater than I think it is at this point, because at least previously... When we had all the gangs being re-released from 2017 onwards, it's a case of well, we know what gangs are coming, we just don't know quite the take that they're going to go with it. So there was that, oh, what they're going to do, how they're going to change it, kind of excitement. But you you had some ideas of where they might go with it, even if you was wrong, you you go, oh well, they might do this then they might no i mean nobody saw like you know the sort of the cthulhu-esque links to the coming i think and like the sort of the heavy leanings into the psychic stuff but you know and then we've got cordor with their unique faith system and things like that so you know they've had all these little surprises along the way which have kept it all really interesting but with this (laughs) it's it's a bit of a really really don't know what they're going to do now because the book itself has just got gone absolutely crazy with what's happening on the planet of necromunda right now and, and it's like how much worse could things get what direction is it going to go in who knows stay tuned <laughs> to this same necromunda channel same necromunda time yeah and, and find out what happens
4: it, it doesn't feel self-contained it, it definitely leaves you with absolute blue balls it's like yeah. what what yeah. what that's it what
3: <laughs> it's when you go to see that film that's part of like three films that you know are coming out because they've gone well we're going to do the whole thing and it's like oh god i've got to wait a freaking year yeah. now like, like the, end the of next first film. yeah
4: <laughs> yeah where, where they re- when they remade June and it just comes to yes. that end scene and it's like yeah come on
3: <laughs> yeah yeah. So yeah, very very, very much Dune uh, as well as many other films. Other I think like um Avengers with the Endgame yeah. and all that kind of thing. The, the the gap that we had there is it was like oh my god. Um, so yes, so closing thoughts on the book. It is in my opinion awesome. That is because I consider myself to be quite the quite the Necromunda fan and the lore that was in it is like as I've said already in in this discussion i think the law alone is worth the price of admission i would get this book no problem um but that's just my opinion on it as chris has pointed out there's various reasons why it might not be for someone who's already playing Necromunda. there we are
4: no and if you if you live in your own head canon like i say when i say it's not essential you don't need it in that respect it's not you know you you do obviously there's a couple of bits in there it'd be nice to have but for the whole it's like if you just want to play your headcan version of Necromunda, you don't like this you don't like that then you play that you're not missing anything really with this but yeah as steve said for people who just love the setting love the stories that get told it's it's made for you it really is made for you
3: okay folks so we're gonna take a very quick little break and then i think we've actually had a letter come through so we will do your letters
4: Sump City Radio
3: If you're not listening to us Why the fuck do you even have a radio?
2: You're, you're, you're listening to
6: the
0: only Hertzian approved station in High Primus
2: Oh yeah
0: You're listening to Sump City Radio
4: Okay Steve, um since though we've done this little broadcast, I figured I'd dig one little letter out um that I found at the bottom of the sack. So it's your it's
2: your
3: The, the singeing and burned sack. Yeah. That's <laughs> the thing it. is, like, pretty much everything is either destroyed or on fire around Covered it now. in
4: acid or bug goo, but yeah. It's so, it's, so, it's. so
3: let's bring it down and not to a notch and have a little
4: quiet letter at the end of it.
3: How, what accent is this? Is it. I, I yeah yeah, I don't, no, I know. I mean, read it I, and I
4: was like, is it supposed to be Scottish, but then it's got "ya," yeah. So is it like, yeah. Swedish
3: chef? I don't know.
4: Yeah, the broadcast of you wrote your transmission from
6: Foray into Necromunda proper has reached the receivers of Grenscore Mining Clans
4: Prospector's train. <laughs> I don't, is it supposed to be like Dutch
3: or is it supposed to be... I don't know. I mean, this is the problem with the, the, the written word, isn't it?
4: Yeah, do us a favour, when you're writing a letter, is give us a little hint at the top of the letter as to how you would want this to be read out. Uh, right.
3: This, this is why we need Harry Potter letters. So they just read themselves.
4: Apologies, um, submitter of this letter. Uh, you've written it what looks like uh, phonetically, So, but you've put a lot of yars in there. So I'm guessing it's some kind of um, Germanic, uh, Dutch kind of language. So I'm going to go for a really bad caricature of that, so I do apologise.
3: But we have to avoid German because that's trademark Vansal. Yeah, absolutely. So. <laughs> yeah.
4: yeah,
6: the broadcast of Eurocha transmission from Foray into the Necromunda proper has reached the receivers of the Grensker mining clan's prospectors. Train Red Ash Alpha, yeah, after a few hours of listening, the kin be agreeing, your hiving accents be quite quaint, and your discussing be educational and entertaining, yeah, but the callan masters are a bit vexed and rankled, where the interludes of screeching the Grox pipes, where be the grinding dirge of the Valkyr, or the ode to the lost loot at Smoggin Mountain, any proper broadcaster worth the or be playing at least some of this ya yeah. snorri my chief drill master believes it's just hive-born ignorance ya yeah. and believes you should be forgiven ya yeah. we be sure you now be knowing, and you be rectifying ye efforts of be believing me there will be a reckoning ya yeah. and subsidy radio will end up on our data file of grudges.
4: That's from Grumblingly Years, Huskar Grenson, Chapter Master of the Grenscore Mining Consortium. Do you know what it read like when I was reading it there? What? Have you seen the interview where the, she's interviewing the two girls in um, Fargo? Uh,
3: that was a while ago for me. Well, Obviously, the Canadian. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah.
6: The broadcast of Church transmission from Feray into the Necromander proper... He was a
4: tall man. Yeah. That kind of, that, that, That's what I'm getting from it, but I don't think it's supposed to be like that. So I hope I haven't offended you, Huskar Grenson. Thanks very much for your letter, and we'll have a look through the archives and see if we can dig out um, some Grox Pipes tracks for the next transmission.
3: To be fair, if the Grox Pipes tracks are on Spotify, (laughs) then we can add them into future episodes. So if the writer of this letter would like to contact us again and give us some of the artists on Spotify that meet their approval then I'll happily throw one in in a future episode. Yeah,
4: so apologies to yourself and Snorri, but thanks so much for your letter. We really appreciate that. Right there, well, that's the only letter I had for today, Steve, so do you want to wrap this thing up?
3: Yeah, cool. Um, so obviously from the very quick uh, production of our last episode and this special one, we've not had any additional Patreons, but respect to everyone who is already a patron anyway obviously as we've said before we really appreciate the support and it is actually helping us to keep the hobby going at all at this point yes so thank you very much huge thanks um, competitions we don't have any so we don't need to worry about that and thank yous it's literally just been us <laughs> on this yeah. episode so i suppose thank yous just come down to games workshop for sending us all of the review items So that's all of the forge world models that we've got all of the goliaths the dramatis persona uh, and the um goliath maulers oh and the yep yeah, uh, the goliath maulers uh, and uh or oh, the book obviously the uh anthean succession synderic burning
4: yeah Quick shout-out for the Mauler kit, because I've had time to cut it up and stick it back together in an unusual way. It's a really good kit. I think uh, anyone who's building vehicles can get a lot of use out of it. Um, I don't play Goliath. I think I would consider getting another box just to have those bits. It's it's a really fun little uh, kit to play with. So, yeah, thanks thanks for sending it.
3: And, and on that note, very quickly, you went full of Kira on that bike, didn't you? So... Um has that literally taken up the equivalent of two vehicles to make that?
4: Well, it, you can't make the second one because I've used the front wheel on the back. Ah, oh, it's the, the front first. bit off of... Right, yeah. okay. Yeah. So, on. no. Um, I did notice that you could have stuck like uh, big tracks on the back, like, you know, off the um, back of the servo haulers. So if you wanted to make like a really beefy mauler, um, you could still have the half-track rule just with a huge track on the back. Um, oh. But my ultimate dream... Uh, would be to have two kits and make a four-wheeled vehicle out of those four <laughs> massive wheels. But um,
3: Loads of potential options. Yeah,
4: it, it really, really solid kit. And the crew, the crew that are riding them, I don't think the box art does them justice. They are awesome little minis, them. I'm really impressed with how, how cool they look. The proportions just look awesome on them. So, yeah, really solid kit. If you're a Goliath player, I think you're in for a treat if you're planning on getting them.
3: All right, in which case then, folks, me and Chris are going to head off, get the foot spars out, the face masks and some cucumbers from somewhere, (laughs) get our eyes covered, (laughs) and get in a couple of breaks before Margot Medina gets us out on another shift killing these bugs.
4: Yep, sounds good to me, man. All right, take care, everyone. Bye now. Take care, folks. Bye.
5: You've been listening to Sump City Radio. Join us next time for more Hijinx in the Hive and all things Necromunda. Remember to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. If you want to get more involved, join our growing Facebook community page. Just remember to answer all the damn questions. Do you want your letter read out on the show? Email us at, at gmail.com. And if your raids have been successful And you've plenty of creds to spare Why not toss a cred to your DJ Over at our Patreon page www.patreon.com Forward slash Every little bit helps support the show And thank you for listening this is, the one, the
0: only, Sump City Radio. Sump City Radio is a registered associate of the Hertzian Guild of Hive Primus, and adheres to all communication laws decreed by Lord Helmar.